Hey, welcome to Pickled Parables. My name's Jesse, and I just realized that the holidays are right around the corner. So I thought that it'd be appropriate to make a lesson about some Christmas-themed thing. So I picked the story of the wise men. For a long time, I, I misunderstood this story in a crucial way. And so today, in this episode, I want to present the mystery of Jesus' wise men. For a long time, I considered the story of the wise men to be something like a, an insignificant Bible legend. It's there. It's in the Bible. But it's, on, it's only in one of the Gospels. Not a lot of details given about who these people were. And for me, as, as an outsider looking in, it, it just seems kind of mysterious. This story is short. It's really short. Uh, hardly any detail is given. It, 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 it seems like a misnomer. The whole story is often easily misunderstood because it just doesn't give us a lot of, to work with. A famous Christmas carol describes the wise men as we three kings of Orient are bearing gifts. We traverse afar, field and fountain, moor and mountain, following yonder star. So just from those four lines, we get more detail packed in here than in the actual story. From the song, we think of three kings from Orient nations, countries within Asia. They're traveling in order to bring gifts to someone. They they have to travel through fields and fountains and moors and mountains, and they travel in the direction they follow a yonder star. (laughs) I think this is a fairly classic understanding of the wise men. You see, because of the lack of details, our imaginations want to fill in the blanks. We want to know... Who were these guys? Where were they from? Why did they follow a star? That's a great one. That's a good question. Why did they pick a star and then begin to follow it? What's, what's the point of this story? So that's what I want to look at today. I want to uncover the mystery of Jesus' wise men. The story is only mentioned in the Gospel of Mark. Of the four Gospels, especially between Matthew, Mark, and Luke, There are many repeated stories, and often if there's a story that is told in each gospel, like it keeps repeating, that's something that is of significant notice. However, it's important to note that each gospel writer had a specific goal in mind. For instance, the author and editors of John wanted to provide an account that would bring people to trust in Jesus as the Christ. It's kind of detailed, it's written near the end of the book. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. The author and editors of Luke wanted to provide an orderly narrative of the accomplishments of Jesus. It's 
clearly written for Gentile converts who never met Jesus. This is noted at the very beginning of the book. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things that you have been taught. Now, the author and editors of Mark, they they had a purpose as well. They wanted to force the reader to answer a question. Who do you say Jesus is? This is the shortest of the Gospels in terms of uh, word count and length, but it's also the most forceful. It's very pointed in its content. It tells a story after story after story of, of people not believing in Jesus. And finally, at near the end, it finally reaches a climax when a Roman centurion watches Jesus die, and he's the first person in, in the story to declare when well, I'll read it. When the centurion who stood facing him saw that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Mark's gospel ends abruptly, almost like a a cliffhanger, and it forces the readers to ask, who was Jesus? Maybe more importantly, who do I believe Jesus to be? If it wasn't for John, Mark would be my favorite gospel. Lastly, the author and editors of Matthew, they had purpose as well. They wanted to tell a narrative about Jesus that was purposefully positioned in front of significant Old Testament promises and expectations. Matthew's gospel makes the assertion that Jesus was the anointed king, the son of David, the promised Messiah. He opens his book with an orderly genealogy. It's split up into three sections, going from Abraham to David, from David to the deportation to Babylon, and from Babylon to the birth of Jesus. Each of these three sections is arranged by 14 generations. His point is that he's, he's being a little artsy, and he's pointing out that Jesus comes from a long line of kings and leaders, rulers. Even the wording around this genealogy makes the straightforward assertion that Jesus is the promised king from the Old Testament. The first verse in the book says, the, the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. With this opening, he then moves to the, the ancient idea of the seed of the woman. In the first few pages of Genesis, several expectations are set up. One of which is the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman. This is a a major theme carried throughout the the Bible, both Old and New Testaments. So here, we're told about a virgin giving birth to a child. That child was the baby Jesus. Immediately then, we're told about the visit of some foreign magi. This takes place in Matthew chapter 2. I'll read it to you. 
Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was supposed to be born. And they told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go, search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, come bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had first seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Then being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now, when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Out of Egypt, I called my son. You can probably tell just from those verses that the story of the wise men is not a story about the wise men. It's a story about Jesus. Biblical authors are always careful about the details that they provide because it kind of manages, it helps direct the attention to what they want to emphasize. So think about Think about the details that we don't know about the wise men. We don't know how many there were. We don't know what any of their names were. We don't know where specifically they came from. It's very general, the East. We're told that the star of the Jewish king, is the apparent star that they followed to, to Jerusalem, that's that's weird. The wise men are treated like a supporting character. They are adding weight to something. So within this story, let's make some observations. First, the, this story is sandwiched between two prophecies that are being or have been fulfilled. The first one is about where this king of the Jews, where this promised Messiah is supposed to be born. He was supposed to be born in a little town called Bethlehem. The second prophecy 
is about the Messiah going to Egypt and then being called out of it. So this immediate context adds to what has come before it. And number two, here, here's something else that we can see from the, from the story. The wise men went to a house, not to a stable. So in the most basic sense, this means that this is a different place than when the shepherds came to visit. That story is, is not recorded in Matthew. It's, it's only in the Gospel of Luke. But in that story, shepherds came the night of Jesus' birth to a, a stable. We can also see that the wise men started following this star once it first appeared. So that means that it appeared some amount of time ago. We can also see that Herod was trying to ascertain from them when the star appeared. So it, it, it seems that this is not the night of Jesus' birth. Uh, something else that we can notice is that Herod feels threatened. And it's interesting. It's not just Herod, but the whole city of Jerusalem. Now, why would Herod feel threatened by a so-called king of the Jews? That's a, that's a rather messy question with a pretty long historical answer. But essentially, he was scared of losing his job. Herod had worked really hard to become the ruler of this area. He had defended it from people who wanted to overthrow him. He had even killed people for it. I mean, he'd killed relatives in order to keep his position. But now, apparently, there was someone who might actually have a legitimate claim of rulership. People were coming out of the country to see him. And that's disruptive. Herod might lose everything that he had built for himself. And that, at the very least, is something that we can learn from. Jesus is disruptive when he comes into people's lives because he brings a righteousness that we don't have. People can have different reactions to Jesus. They can become excited or feel threatened. The wise men felt excited. They wanted to worship Jesus. But Herod felt threatened. He wanted to kill Jesus. So Herod tried to trick the wise men, and then he sent them on their way. Hopefully, he thought, they would reveal where this king of the Jews lived. So the wise men start off for Bethlehem. And as they leave, they find the star again. So they follow it to Jesus and find him in a house with his mother. Uh, again, we're, we're not sure how much time has passed. So Jesus, he might be a, a full-sized baby, if not even a little toddler. But notice, the first thing they do when they find Jesus, is fall down and worship him. That was their goal. They wanted to find Jesus and worship him. And in a continuation of worship, they gave him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. That's the story of the wise men. They end up leaving and then disappearing from the book of Matthew. So as readers, especially readers today, we're left to ask, <laughs> wait, what just happened? Why, why did that happen? These wise men had dropped everything they were doing in order to search out and find Jesus. Why? Why would they do that? I, I want to turn our attention to a passage in Isaiah. 
Isaiah chapter 60. I want to read starting in verse 1. And I want to point out to you the, I guess, the, the design that the author used to write this, or at least the things he had in mind when he wrote it. There's quite a lot that builds up to this. It is chapter 60 of a book. <laughs> but for the sake of time, we're just going to jump into it. So verse 1. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness over the peoples. Now, I'm going to pause from reading here and just just say, think of Genesis chapter 1 here, where it's talking about creation. Darkness covering the earth. Does that That sounds familiar. But the Lord will arise upon you and his glory will be seen upon you. Think again, Genesis chapter one, and there was light. And nations shall come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. All in all, this is supposed to evoke our remembrance of the creation account because essentially that what this prophet is doing he's 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 kind of talking about a new creation moment lift up your eyes all around and see they all gather together they come to you your sons shall come from afar your daughters shall be carried on the hip this is talking about the diaspora the, the family of Abraham that's scattered throughout all kinds of nations. They're going to come back together. Then you shall see and be radiant. Your heart shall thrill and exult because the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the nations shall come to you. We find out later in this passage that the you in here is a city. It's talking about the new Jerusalem. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaioth shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar and I will beautify my beautiful house. This prophetic poem is about the unification of Abraham's family. Do you remember in Genesis chapter 12 when God told Abraham, leave your home, go to the place that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. He was named Abram at the time. After Abram had a kid with Hagar instead of Sarai, God came to him again and said, I'm going to call you Abraham because you will be a father of a multitude of nations. So more than one nation. All in all, Abraham ended up having seven sons through Hagar and another woman named Keturah. If you count the son that he had with Sarai, then he had eight sons. But check this out. I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 25. Listen for these names. Abraham took another wife, whose name was Keturah. She bore to him Zimran, 
Jokes on. Median. Midian. Ishbak. And Shua. Jokes on fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Asherim, Letuim, and Lemuim. The sons of Midian, I'm sorry, the sons of Midian were Ephah, Epher, Hanok, Abda, and Elda. All these were the children of Keturah. Abram gave all that he had to Isaac, who was the son of Sarai. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac, eastward to the east country. Now, something we need to understand as we read this, throughout the Old Testament, the east was more than a direction. It represented something. It represented exile. Abraham sent these people away. These were a people of exile. They had been sent away, not just from Abraham, but they had been sent away from Isaac, who was the promised son that God gave to Abraham. But when we read Isaiah chapter 60, there's some names that sound kind of familiar. Listen again. A multitude of camels shall cover you, the young camels of Midian and Ephah. All those from Sheba shall come. They shall bring gold and frankincense and shall bring good news, the praises of the Lord. All the flocks of Kedar shall be gathered to you. The rams of Nebaio shall minister to you. They shall come up with acceptance on my altar and I will beautify my beautiful house. These are people from the eastern exile coming back with acceptance. Now, we don't know who the wise men were. We don't know their nationalities. We don't even know their names. That, that could kind of give us a hint. As we could think, uh, oh, that name kind of sounds like it would fit in this culture, and it kind of give us clues. But we, we don't even know their names. We only know the direction that they came from, the east. With this lack of detail, we could make all kinds of speculations about them. But that's not the point of their story. The wise men represent the reach of the Messiah. Jesus, the Messiah, was not just a king for Israel, but he came through Israel for the whole world. And that's what the Gospel of Matthew wanted to show by including this in its book. Jesus is the Messiah, the promised person of the Old Testament, and he came to be king of the whole world, even king over those in exile. Thank you for listening to Pickled Parables. If you enjoyed this message, please rate us, subscribe, and share with your friends. If you're interested in more things like this, check out our secondary podcast called My Dusky Bible. To stay up to date with all things parable, follow us on Instagram at parable underscore ministries, and visit our website at parableministries.com. Parable is a volunteer organization, and we would deeply appreciate your prayers. Thank you for joining us today. We'll catch you later.